I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 148 that I could not resist calling in which we get lit. And I am recording this on Sunday, March 2nd, 2014. And I want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in and welcome to any new listeners I may have. Welcome to all of you who have been with me for a while. Um, I am going to do my best to record this episode today on only about three and a half hours of sleep. I decided I'd better do it now. It's a little bit earlier in the, well, I guess it's about mid-afternoon now, um, but I'm probably within the next couple of hours going to be doing a face plant on my sewing table. So I think I'm going to try to get this episode out now and hope that it makes some sort of sense, but a little bit more about that later. Um, Again, thank you for everybody to uh, for joining in, and thank you for anybody who has posted reviews on iTunes for me or any other of the podcasters. We all really appreciate it. Uh, we are finally getting to a topic today that a listener asked me some months ago. Unfortunately, I can't find the original email. My search engine wasn't coming up with it. I've mentioned in the past that I had some computer things we had to fix, and in the process, some of my email got lost, my personal email. Um, so I can't find who originally asked me this question, and I'm really, really sorry about that. But one of you asked me about lighting in my sewing room, and I did get a little bit of a, a comment from a couple of people, um, which was in line with what I've also found. So I'm going to share with you what I do know about lighting, which admittedly is not a huge amount, but because I recently did make some changes to my sewing room, I do have some tips and hints and a couple of resources to offer as well. Um, I'm going to start with some announcements, give a little bit of a Sandy update, then we'll get into talking about lighting, and then I will do some listener feedback. Uh, first, announcements. I do need to let you know, if you remember in the last episode, I talked about doing a March Quilty Resolution check-in for the first quarter um, this weekend, and you know what happened? Quilt and Jenny whined at me <laughs> about doing it at the beginning of March instead of the end of March. Um, because frankly, she just needed a little more time. But you know, she makes a good point that technically the quarter would probably be the end of the month. So yes, Jenny, I will <laughs> I'll postpone and do the March resolution check-in at the end of the month. And actually that works well because March 28th is going to be my drum roll, please. Um, fourth anniversary podcast, I believe four might be five, but I think four. I'll have to double check that. It just feels like I've been doing it forever. Um, but in any case, I'm planning some really good giveaways and stuff around that. Uh, but I will also do the March resolution check-in and a giveaway with that as well. Probably all at the same time. One big giveaway party. So Jenny, your whining paid off. That's the only time I'm ever going to let you get away with whining. Um, second announcement. This is kind of funny. I need to say thank you to Julie. Uh, Quilt and Jewel for reminding me that um, yes indeed it's possible to spend money at the Lancaster vendors before I even step foot in Lancaster. <laughs> I was mentioning that um, on Twitter that I had actually managed to get back down in my um, dye studio a little bit this afternoon. Um, not much but a little bit and 
that I was also making a list of the dyes that I've been wanting to get or some that I now need to restock uh, so that I would have that list with me when I got to, Pro uh, to Lancaster if there was a ProCam booth there, which I have actually since checked, and yes, indeed, there's going to be, because I'm driving to Lancaster, so it's a really easy way for me to be able to restock without having to pay shipping. And um, Quilt and Jewel tweeted me to remind me that I can actually pre-order with ProCam, and then they'll bring it to the booth, so I will still save on shipping, but then I also don't have to leave it to chance that they have at the booth what I actually want. Um, so I have gone through uh, the order form on their website, and I've made my list, but um, there doesn't seem to be a good way on the website, and Quilt and Jewel, if you know this, maybe you can tell me, but I didn't see any way that I could say, by the way, I want to pick this up at the booth in Lancaster. So I'm going to call them, but they're not open on Sunday, so I'm going to have to call tomorrow. So I will be doing that. So my biggest expenditure um, in Lancaster is going to happen before I even leave home. Uh, but that'll be really helpful if I can actually do that. Um, a little bit more about Lancaster. The other thing I was doing today was going back through my emails to remind myself of who all said they were going to be there so that we could do a meetup. And the list I've got, I know I'm missing somebody. I'm pretty sure I'm missing somebody. So I've got Quilt and Jewel, I have Ethel, I have Jean, and I have Sarah. Tori, uh, Tori, you also mentioned that you were going to be there. I still think there might be one more person that I'm missing. So what I need you to all do, I guess, is to email me sometime this week uh, with, I guess, your cell phone numbers, if that's the easiest way for us to then coordinate. Um, and I'll email you mine, and we'll figure out where we can all meet. Um, I'd also ask Tori to do a little research. I've never been to Lancaster, so I can't say, hey, let's meet at this elevator. You know, I don't, I don't know where the meeting spaces are. Um, so Tori said she was going to check with some friends of hers who have been there. But if any of you have been there that are going to be there and know the absolute perfect meeting spot throw that to me in your email as well. And you're all going to need to remind me of your schedules of when you're going to be there because you're all there different times. I don't think we can do a single meetup, although that would be great if we could manage that. So um, again, that's Julie, Ethel, Jean, Sarah, Tori, and the other person. <laughs> or if there's any of you who are going to be in Lancaster and just haven't told me yet, please do, because I really would love to meet all of you while we're there. Um, I am looking forward to Lancaster. I started pulling together my class supplies for the couple of classes I'm going to take. I've still got a long ways to go in that, but it is, we're in the um, prep week here, so it'll be a lot of fun. We go a week from Tuesday is when my friends and I head down there. Um, I also got a recommendation from Barbara of a uh, fabric store near Lancaster, Burke Fabric, and she gave me the website. Um, she said if you're able to visit that while you're down there, that would be great. Um, and I'm going to bring the name of it with me and, and look up the address. I really, I actually don't know if I'm going to have a lot of time because um, I, I do have two full day classes this year, which is unusual for me. Normally I don't do full day classes, but I've got a couple of those scheduled. So that really tightens up the rest of my week, but we'll see. Um, I certainly will check out the website if I don't even get there to the physical store. So again, for everybody else going to Lancaster, Burke Fabric, B-U-R-K fabric was the store that was recommended by Barbara. So looking forward to that, getting ready for that, and hoping that we can do some meetups and some pictures and, you know, tweet, live tweets <laughs> from Lancaster, all that good stuff. Um, all right, my Sandy update. My daughter just went back to college about maybe an hour ago um, from her post-birthday birthday weekend this weekend. 
as I'd mentioned in my last episode, she came home Friday, um, and then we had a spa day Saturday morning, and then her family dinner, um, which we just did a pizza party, very casual kind of thing, uh, Saturday night. And then I got to babysit my great niece while my niece and her husband, my nephew, um, went out with my daughter and uh, my daughter's brother, my son, and my other nephew um, and my other nephew's girlfriend and then my son's roommate and another one of their friends. So it was a, a nice group for them and they didn't get home until about two in the morning, although my, my niece um, and her husband came back to pick up uh, my great niece, the baby, at about 12.30, so that wasn't too bad, but you know mothers, I didn't actually, even though I was in bed, I didn't actually sleep until I heard my daughter get home, so uh, that's why I'm on three and a half hours of sleep right now, because I didn't get to sleep until sometime after 2 a.m., but I was wide awake, God knows why, at 5.30, so um, I stayed in bed until about 6.15, but that was as long as I could stand it with, you know, being awake without coffee, <laughs> so I got up at that point. Um, but, you know, to tell the truth, I'm actually feeling better than I think I'm going to, which is why I keep thinking I'm going to hit a wall at some point. At some point, I'm going to realize I'm working on three and a half hours of sleep. Uh, the baby was wonderful. I got in all sorts of baby cuddles. Um, she's a very low-key baby. She rarely cries, although she did have a hissy fit that lasted about 45 minutes because suddenly... I swear she had an immediate growth spurt and she needed to be fed right then. She pounded two bottles. Now these are small bottles, they're formula, which <laughs> I was giving my niece a hard time because I was like, man, when my kids were babies and we had formula, it was in a can and we had to, you know, use a can opener, open it and then throw it in a bottle and then heat it up. Now uh, the formula is in little bottles that you just screw a nipple on the top and you're good to go. <laughs> like that is just so unfair. Um, but in any case, uh, my Great niece at this point is three months old, if you haven't been paying attention. Um, so she pounded two of those bottles, even though her parents had said, oh, we fed her right before we left. She'll be fine and we won't have to feed her. She was hungry. The funny thing was, um, the minute she she was, she had fallen asleep as soon as everybody left. She was asleep for like 45 minutes and then she woke up P.O.'d <laughs> and yelling as loud as a three-month-old can get. They're, they don't have their full length, uh, lung strength yet, but she could get pretty loud. Both of my dogs, <laughs> they, they just went running for cover. Um, Spencer, the freak dog, she went running for the mudroom and her she's got a little dog house in there, just dove right in. She's like, I am not dealing with this. It's confusing and I don't understand it. Um, Sam tried to bring her a toy. <laughs> And when that didn't work, then he also went to the mudroom. He's like, okay, that's the only uh, consolation tool in my toolbox. You're beyond me now. You're on your own. <laughs> I was like, thank you so much, guys, you cowards. <laughs> and it wasn't until probably half an hour after she had finally settled back down and was kind of, you know, just hanging out on the couch. She sort of dozed on and off. She never fully went back to sleep, but she wasn't crying. She was just kind of wiggling and looking around. And uh, finally, about half an hour later, Sam sort of came slinking back and peering around the corner like, is it safe now? <laughs> I'm like, you you are useless. <laughs> Completely useless. And then, of course, I had to keep him from going anywhere near the couch because he wanted to keep... I had her laying out on the couch and I was sitting in an armchair next to her. He kept wanting to go over and sniff her. I'm like, if you wake her up again, I will kill you. So <laughs> I had to kind of shove him away. So um, I, I never did see Spencer again. She stayed in bed in back in the mudroom. But Sam came out and flopped down next to me eventually. Uh, so that was entertaining. 
but in any case, she was wonderful, and I got my baby cuddles in and remembered how to change a diaper, which honestly was the first one I've probably changed since my daughter was in diapers. And uh, I did realize I no longer have any uh, remaining mommy biceps, because boy, my arms are stiff this morning <laughs> from carrying her around. So I was uh, joking on Twitter that I'm going to make all of my um, new grandmother mistakes, you know, trying to remember how to do all this stuff again with my daughter's or my sister's granddaughter. So that by the time I have my own grandchildren around, I'll have it right. <laughs> so I'm practicing on my sister's grandkid and then I'll be ready to go by the time I have grandkids. Um, so that was kind of my evening last evening. And today was all very mellow because my daughter really kind of wanted me to hang out with her until she left and so we just sat and watched tv and i like i said i did a little bit in my dye studio um and got that done so now that she's gone i decided i'd throw together the podcast fast and then while it's uploading and everything i'll be back on my sewing machine um a couple of sewing updates i have gotten the whole center done of my disappearing pinwheel which was the project a bunch of us started over martin luther king jr weekend so in um, this is the design. It's it's out and around. It's not invented by Missouri Star Quilt Company. I've seen it in other places. At least I don't think it's invented by them, but I've seen it in a few other places. But um, what's her name? Jenny Doan had posted a video of the disappearing pinwheel, and I had posted it to Twitter, and that kind of got things rolling. You know, I, I didn't suggest we all did it, but we won't go there again. Um, and I've lost track of everyone involved. There's a lot of people that have done it, and there's some folks that have done it since, and there's a couple of people who've got their whole guilds doing it now. It's kind of, you know, taking fire. I will say it's a very fast process, but it is a whole lot trickier than it seems. And I like the Missouri Star Quilt Company videos. I, I subscribe to their channel on YouTube, and I always watch when they've got a new one, and there's a few different designs she's shown that I'd kind of like to do. And, of course, I do the Disappearing Nine Patch, which was one of her um, videos as well. My only quibble is that she often makes things sound so fast and easy, and then she neglects to talk about those things that are going to give you headaches in the process. Um, such as in this case, she doesn't talk at all about the fact that doing this, you're going to end up with bias edges all around the outside, so of course you've got to take some care there. Now the nice thing about bias edges is you can stretch things to fit if you need to, but it can also, of course, as we all know, uh, lead to puckers and points not quite meeting and so forth. And I do have a few places because I I was just doing this for fun. I was not looking at it being an heirloom. I didn't even know what I was going to do with it when it was done. Um, so I did use starch, but I didn't like starch the hay out of it. And I would say you probably really should starch the hay out of it um, and be extraordinarily careful about how you handle, handle the pieces. Because again, the way you cut the block, which is very fast and easy, you end up with just a ton of bias edges all around the outside of the block. Um, now, it's also very forgiving because you actually, you kind of end up making it a little bit larger and cutting it down a certain extent. I mean, you're not lopping off an inch and a half when you get the block done, but you can trim it up to a, a you know common size among all your blocks. Um, but I do have some points that, you know, some pieces that don't meet up the way they should. Now my pinwheels all look pretty darn good in the center, and that's what most people are going to see, so they won't really notice the rest. Um, another tip out of this, and this is kind of general, this isn't just doing, just talking about the disappearing pinwheel. The way uh, the video has it, and the way you often see the disappearing pinwheel talked about, is you start out with a layer cake, a, t a collection of 10-inch squares. Um, mine were 
scrap, although I think some of them might have started out as a layer cake or a collection of some sort because they seem awfully coordinated. Um, but I did have some others. Um, I did mine all with batiks. I did have some other squares that I had just cut scraps myself. Not all pre-cuts are the size they're supposed to be. And so this is my one overall tip if you're using pre-cuts. Measure every dang piece. Some are visually obvious. I've, I can't tell you the number of charm packs that when I've broken them open, charm packs for newbies are five inch squares, collections. And those are all die cut at, you know, some warehouse machine. They're not cut by hand, they're die cut. And put in a collection, you would think they would be the accurate, most accurate thing going. They're not. Not always. Some are fine. Some char charm packs are fine. But what I'd suggest you do is when you're at the store, before you actually buy it, flip your thumb through the edge because I have a couple of times picked up a charm pack, gotten it home, opened it up, and one or two pieces in the middle are missing like a quarter of an inch and a half an inch where they just didn't go through the machines correctly or something. Um, and nobody catches them because it's all done by machine. Nobody's visually looking at these. And then there are the ones, who, the like local quilt shops often put together their own charm packs, their own um, layer cakes. And those are cut by human beings, which sometimes are Available. And <laughs> I have brought home some collections from shops and I pull them open. And when I start working with them, I realize, wait a minute, this square or this square are either off in size or they're not cut square. So they're a little bit wonky. Um, so just be careful what you're doing. Um, so, you know, what I found was when I was working with my 10 inch squares, I ended up having to cut them all down I trimmed them all down to something like um, nine and a half inches or something because there were some that were off size. So I just decided, okay, well, I can get them all down to nine and a half inches and be fine. And that's what I started with on the disappearing pinwheel. Um, and it's it's because you can do that. You can get away with that with this design because you pretty much determine the size of your own block. Uh, once you figure out what size you're going to start with and you cut it and you put it together, then you can decide what your end block is going to be. Um, and for the most part, it works. Uh, like I said, I did have some points that didn't match because of the bias edges. It might have also been because I had to trim them down a little bit. Maybe I had some, you know, that weren't the right size or whatever. Uh, they were all the same size, but maybe that meant I was trimming more off of the design of some than others. But in any case, that is the main thing I dis that I had to deal with. I'd known this before, so I knew to sit down and measure all of my squares that I was using, even if I thought they were the right size. Uh, the other thing I did was actually I, I got rid of a ruler because some of the blocks that were the wrong size were ones I had cut from scraps myself. And when I realized I had this whole set of that I could remember cutting, every single one of them was a quarter inch off. And I realized it was because of the ruler, which was one of my old rulers, um, not a creative grids. It, because of the way the ruler is designed, it was far too easy for me to get going and at a, at a glance use the wrong line. Um, and so I ended up just trashing the ruler. I was like, I don't use that line anymore. Anyway, I'm going to replace it with Creative Grids, which is what I use now. So, you know, just be aware of those things. Um, all right. Content. Lighting. Um, what I was basically asked, what kind of lighting is best in a quilt studio? And the the short answer is full spectrum light bulbs. Anytime you can get a full spectrum light bulb, which is also sometimes known as just a daylight bulb, um, that is the closest approximation to daylight. And so it's the best way to see true colors. 
and it's also generally speaking going to be easiest on your eyes not always but generally and i'd also i i have in my notes i have the word daylight in quotation marks because as all things marketing there are going to be some things that say you know colors closest to daylight that aren't necessarily a full spectrum light bulb they just are colored in such a way that it looks like daylight so you know that's just something to be aware of um to the best of my knowledge you can get full spectrum light bulbs or daylight light bulbs in just about any shape or size um so and i'll talk about that a little bit more because i now have them in a couple of different places in my house uh, the other thing to be aware of my friends the older you get the more light you need um so you might want to if you're a young folk <laughs> if you're a sweet young thing you may want to be thinking towards the future um, and what light is sufficient for you now in five years may not be sufficient and particularly once you hit your 40s and and i had to laugh because tanisha craft garden mom just posted about having to get her first pair of reader readers and i think she's just turned 40. um i had to get my first pair at 42. and a lot of people commenting on, on her blog were like yeah i was 43. oh i made it all the way to 45 before i had to get mine your 40s are when your eyes take a nosedive you know so just be ready for that um so I, I you know i didn't really wear glasses i had one pair of prescription glasses that i got when i was in grad school but i only had to wear them actually i never had to wear them because i could see fine without them when i was reading but what would happen is if i read for a couple of hours and then tried to look up i could know i couldn't focus any more distance so you know i would try to rest my eyes and everything but this prescription that just meant that i was straining to read even though i could read um so I've had prescription glasses since, you know, 25 years since grad school, but I only used them if I was doing like a whole day of reading or a whole day on my computer. And even half of the time on my computer, I, I would forget to put them on and I'd be fine. I would just have to let my eyes readjust for a little bit afterwards. Well, by the time I got into my 40s, and I think I was 42 when I had, the, maybe not quite, might have been 40, how old am I now? Might have been more like when I was 44, not that that really matters. Um, but I remember going to the eye doctor saying, you know, I think I need a new prescription because I, my glasses didn't feel like they were cutting it anymore when I was on my computer. We discovered actually what had happened is I had a different computer monitor. <laughs> and so the resolution was just enough different that my eyes were straining. And so I just had to move my monitor a little bit closer to me on the desk but that ended up answering that problem. So I do still have the exact same prescription that I've had for 25 years um, for my glasses. Uh, that I do, but I now wear them all day on my computer. I just sit down at my desk, put them on. Um, and now I also have readers all over the house in my purse, in my briefcase. I've got a pair of readers at hand anywhere I go because now it's gotten to the point where I really do have difficulty reading without something. It's a very light prescription, but it's there. And my eye doctor has said, get ready because, you know, this is when it happens. Over the next 10 years, your eyes are going to go downhill. Um, and I, I, I go into that to say light is a huge part of that. I can go more easily without glasses if I've got really, really good, strong light. Um, that's not painful, <laughs> but, I, you know, th that's just an issue. And you're going to need the light before you're going to need the glasses. Um, the other thing you're going to need to pay attention to is you do need a combination of overhead and task lighting. You do want your whole room to be nicely lit, as few shadows as possible, but you're still going to need that directed light on your 
um, sewing machine, on your cutting table, whatever, wherever you sit and do something specifically, you need directed light on that. So here's my personal story. I had um, posted a blog post about this. I've probably talked about it briefly. Well, I know because this is what generated the question. I did talk about it in a podcast. Um, our house is a new construction home. We moved into it um, eight years ago and my sewing room is the bonus room over the garage. So it's very long and narrow and it's got a nice big picture window at one end of the room, but I only get morning light. Um, so the other end of the room was kind of in shadows and the other end of the room is where my fabric is on the shelves and that's where my design wall is. And so it was really, really hard for me in, you know, on a gray rainy day or in the middle of winter or on um, at night to be able to be confident that I was choosing the right colors in my fabrics as I pull them off the shelves and being able to see what's on the design wall. Um, now that being said, I have floor lamps, I have task lamps, or I did um, all over my room. So I had all sorts of task lamps, but all that the builder had put into the room was a single light fixture in the center of the room with the three regular incandescent bulbs. So the lighting was very yellow, it was very dim, it was not sufficient. Um, in the basement, uh, we have a full basement. It is not a finished basement. It's cement floor. We don't have walls. We only have the insulation up. Um, but the laundry room is down there. My dye studio is down there. Uh, the kids' game consoles used to be down there when they still lived at home. Um, and a lot of storage. But the uh, builders, again, had just put in single light bulbs. I think there were six, maybe eight altogether, the stretch of the room. So it wasn't great light. Well, my husband does our laundry, God bless him. And it was starting to really bother him that it wasn't well lit down there. So he said to me one day, this was last summer, you know, I'd really like to get better lighting in the basement. Maybe we should call the electrician we had had to do something else. And I said, well, you know, I'd really like to have better lighting upstairs in my sewing room and home office. And lo and behold, and this was not at all something I was expecting. We suddenly, we had an electrician over and we were getting all new lighting and I love sewing room now both the basement and the the ups in my sewing room both have full spectrum lights the basement are fluorescent style so they're the long tubes and again i don't remember now whether we have six or eight but i have one position directly over where my dye studio is in the corner and then there's one in the laundry room and then you know two more on either side um spanning the the length of the basement and what a huge difference it makes down there i mean it's not like our basement was dark and shadowy and scary. It was always fairly well lit, but now it's beautifully lit and it's that nice full spectrum light, which just makes you feel good. My home office, it's a huge difference because I'm in here all day. This is my home office, my studio, um, quilt studio. Uh, so I'm sitting at my desk working or I'm at my sewing machine. Um, having that daylight light, I think has also helped with my seasonal effective. I think it's kind of all one package. Now I am still using a light box, so it's hard to tell. Um, but it's daylight light coming out of my ceiling now. And uh, the electrician, and if you can, I mean, if you're looking at redoing lighting, I would really highly recommend talking to an experienced professional because um, he came over, he saw the room, he stood here with me, and fortunately it was actually a really cloudy, rainy day the day that he got here, and he was here in the morning, so it should have been when it was at its best lit. But I said, you know, honestly, certain times of the year, this is the best it gets, is this kind of darkness. So he could see immediately what the issues were. Um, I explained to him the needs of a quilter. I stood where, at that point, my 
sewing room was in a different arrangement, but I stood at my cutting table. I showed him, here's the problem I'm having with shadows. You know, I'm causing my own shadows to fall. When I'm cutting something, I have to actually kind of stand off to the side so that I can see what I'm cutting, that kind of thing. Even though, again, I had task lights, I had floor lamps. And I said, here's the other problem. I actually want to get rid of these task lights and some of the floor lamps because I'm, you know, pushing them around and getting them out of the way. They just take up space. So he spent a lot of time talking with me, finding out what my needs were, explaining what some options were. He went back, he did some research. Um, he emailed me and said, okay, here's what I found. I was like, that sounds great. And then he brought over a lamp once because they were able to do the basement first because that wasn't quite as much of a difficulty. <laughs> so the day they came over to do the basement, he brought over a sample of the lighting he had found for my sewing room and held it up. And we kind of, again, talked it through and figured out what would work. Um, and now what I've got are two, four, six, eight, nine, nine recessed can lights that span the length of the room. And it's nine because one side's a little bit longer than the other because it backs up to one of my kids' bedrooms with their closet space. Um, and they're evenly spaced through the room. What that means is I still have a little bit of shadowing, but it's not bad. You know, I can see a shadow, but I can still see. Um, because anywhere I stand, I'm getting light from two or three different directions coming into what I'm doing. And um, again, it's daylight light. And I've also got it on a dimmer. So if I don't want it full out, you know, airplane runway <laughs> light, I can dim it down a little bit. Now, most of the time, it's so gray that I do have it full out airplane runway. Um, I do still have a couple of corners where I have task lighting. Um, just because, again, aging eyes, it's still helpful to have a little bit of extra light, but I don't need it nearly as much as I did. Um, so, again, full spectrum light bulbs, daylight light bulbs is what you want to look for. You want to have as much light as humanly possible. This is not the time for ambient romantic mood lighting. You want good bright light, and you want overhead lighting and good task lighting. Ott lights are wonderful, O-T-T-L-I-T-E. Um, you can often buy them at Joann's, often on a coupon or on sale. They have both floor lamps and task lamps. You can also get um, Ott light bulbs to go into other lamp fixtures. Uh, I have two Ott light floor lamps, one I inherited from mom, one I bought myself, one's over my cutting table, one's right next to my sewing machine. Um, I have a floor lamp next to my ironing board, and this is a really, I mean, it's a cheap, I got it from Target for like 20 bucks but it has one, the main fixture points up towards the ceiling with the, the bowl that cups up so it directs light up. But then it's got a, a bendable arm that comes out with another one and I've got that pointing right on my ironing board. So that's really helpful. Um, you want your lighting to be as flexible as possible. So lighting with bendable arms, with um, you know the architect lamps or what desk lamps that they used to call on the swing arm kind of thing. Those are great because sometimes you move it one direction, sometimes you move it another. Another couple of things you might want to look for, um, I do have a bendable bright light. Uh, that's the brand name of that one, bendable bright light, although it comes in a couple of different brand names, different people produce this. And that's the little light that sticks on the side of your sewing machine, and it has an LED light that shines directly on your sewing needle. It is not at all a hot light. Um, and again, it's on that bendable arm, so most of the time I have it on my sewing needle, but sometimes if I have to do some seam ripping, I just tap it out a couple of inches so I can now see to use my seam ripper right there using that bendable bright light. Um, that makes a huge difference, huge difference. And I have an LED light strip that affixes under your machine, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the brand name of it, but when I post the show notes for this episode, I'll try to 
put a link up there to one you can find. And I bought this, um, I bought mine at a vendor at um, Paducah. So there was a show special. And I actually bought two because I have two machines. One's my portable machine that I take to retreats and the other one's my the one that stays home. So I have two different LED light strips, but I use the same um, plug. I just move it back and forth depending on which one I have. Now, at some point, I probably will buy a second plug because it's kind of a pain to have to remember <laughs> to pull it off one. But it's the plug that's the expensive part. So that's why I kind of cheaped out at that point because I had already spent a lot. I think that was my last day at Paducah. Um, and that that's really nice because that sits under the throat of your machine um, in the harp and it brights, it lights up that whole area. So especially if you're doing free motion quilting or something, that makes a huge difference as well. And they come in a couple of different lengths. So, um, you know, if you've got a smaller harp or a larger harp in your machine, you'll be able to get one that, that fits or buy multiples and just stick them all next to each other. Um, and those are, I love having those. Now, a word about retreats. Retreat lighting is notoriously horrible. So the more things you can stick on your sewing machine to give you light, make sure you do. And again, there's an Ott light that I love. Um, I think I might've inherited from mine from mom or she might've given it to me as a gift, but it's a, an Ott light. Again, I see it at Joann's. It's probably hmm, 12 to 18 inches tall, I think. And the bulb part of it, the light part flips up um, perpendicular, <laughs> trying to make sure I've got my geometric terms right, flips up to be perpendicular and automatically turns on when you flip it up. Or if you want to turn it off, you close it and it, then it's a compact little thing. It is great to take on retreats and, um, you know, it fits easily in your tote bag or your other projects, whatever. Um, and then you can set it up right in front of or right behind your sewing machine to give you that extra light right there. Um, again, retreats, horrible lighting, always horrible lighting. So make sure you have extra lights to bring with you. Um, so again, that's, that's what I've done. That's what I have found. And those are my words of advice. How to decide what lighting you need, you know, it's kind of obvious. Figure out where your darker spots are and where you might need, you know, sometimes it's okay to have shadows if you're just a bookshelf or whatever and you're okay with shadows there, that's fine. Um, but do you really have the best light where you need it in your room? Watch for shadowing. Where is your light source and are you creating your own shadows? And I actually had to pay attention to this when I rearranged my sewing room. Fortunately, my lighting now is set up in such a way with the overhead lights, it does not matter where in this room I put my cutting table, I'm gonna get the same light no matter where I am in the room. And that was fantastic for me as well. Um, so watch for shadowing. Watch for glare. When you decide to get a table lamp or a floor lamp, um, especially if you're gonna be sitting down having something next to your sewing machine, would your light source get in your eyes? Um, that's actually something I had to spend a lot of time thinking about because some of my original thoughts about solving my, my lighting problem before we actually replaced all the lights in the ceiling would have potentially, it would have given me good light on my cutting table, but I probably would have gotten glare in my eyes at the same time. And, and I was trying to decide, well, am I willing to live with that? And ultimately decided not to. Um, Again, talk with an electrician if you can. If you decide you really want to go all out and create lighting that you're going to be able to live with for years and are willing to pay for that, talk with an electrician. Um, look online at photos of studios. This is another time, another thing I spent a lot of time doing in, for years, by the way. This is not something I decided, yes, we kind of ended up doing the work 
unexpectedly. But I've hated my lighting for eight years since I moved into this house. <laughs> I've been researching this essentially for eight years. And I spent a lot of time looking online at photos of studios to see how they did their lighting to get ideas. And I will put a, a link to a couple that I found that I particularly liked looking at. One is Carol Breyer Fallert's studio. She does it like a studio walkthrough tour. Um, another one is a person called Kathy Drew, who I don't know. I have not heard her name, but she's got beautiful sewing studio lighting. Um, a lot of celebrity quilters have great studio lighting because they can afford it. That's their job. Um, and of course, haunting Pinterest. You know, that's another place to find and Flickr. Uh, so just keep looking online at photos and seeing what you think, you know, if they have a similar issue to you, maybe their lighting um, solution will work for you. And then there's a book that I want to recommend called Creating Your Perfect Quilting Space, Sewing Room Makeovers for Any Space and Budget. And it's by Lois L. Halleck. Halleck? I don't know how to pronounce her name, and it's published by That Patchwork Place. It also has a companion studio planner workbook. I don't have the workbook, but my BFF BQF Kate gave me the book when we were building our house and I was starting to make plans because I knew the bonus room was going to end up being where my quilting and home office were going to be. Um, and she gave me the book, and it really walks you through what to think about. It especially helped me thinking through outlets when we had the electrician in um, when we were building the house. I was able to talk with him exactly about here are the issues, here's what I'm going to need to be doing, because irons are a problem. Irons draw a tremendous amount of power off of an outlet, so you've really got to be very careful with where you plug your out your iron in compared to where everything else in the room is plugged in. And especially for me, because I've got all my computers in here too, so it's, you know, well... Now I've only got one, but at the time with the kids living here and my husband here, we had three computers in the space for a while and an iron. <laughs> and it was actually the iron that was the bigger problem than the three computers. So anyway, that book was an excellent help, creating your perfect quilting space, sewing room makeovers for any space and budget. And it really is. I mean, in my case, yeah, I was building a house. So I had the opportunity and the, the fortunate luck to be able to work with an electrician that we already had doing the plugs and just saying, okay, this is where we're going to put them in. And he put in special kind of plugs, that sort of thing. But even if you've just got a, a, a bedroom that you're trying to make over, this book would be very helpful. Um, and I'll put a link to the book in the show notes as well. So that's what I've got to say about lighting. And again, I'm sorry, I can't find whoever it was that first asked me that question, but I hope I've now answered your question. And again, I did get a, a couple of um, reader comments, listener comments about it, and they said pretty much what I've said. Um, the full spectrum light and hot lights are great and making sure you've got task lighting and overhead lighting. That's, that's all kind of common stuff. Um, so I, I would also encourage you, if you love your lighting in your quilt studio, um, or your sewing room or your dining room table, where you set up your sewing room on your sewing machine on occasion, but you've got just exactly the right lights that you also set up, post pictures in Flickr and leave a link in the comments to the show notes to this episode because other people will want to see it. People are always looking for ideas for improving their lighting. All right, so that's what I have to say about lighting. I'm going to pause for a minute so that I can switch gears and pull up my listener comments. Okay, first of all, I want to say thank you to um, Marianne, who had sent me a link to a blog that I already followed, but it did make me think I really need to let other people talk about this, know about this um, blog. If you 
are a hand dyer or at all interested in hand dyeing or just like to see pretty pictures of pretty hand dyed fabrics, you want to check out the blog called And Then We Set It on Fire, which is the best blog name ever to begin with. But um, I don't remember the name of the person, of the actual blogger. I'm looking quickly to see if she signed her blog. Nope. Um, sorry. I should have looked that up. But anyway, uh, the blog name again is And Then We Set It on Fire. And she does a, a lot of um, informational tutorial kind of stuff about hand dyeing and other type of um, surface embellishments and making your own fabric and everything. It's a really cool blog. So thank you, Marianne, for sending me that link and reminding me that I did want to share that with people. Uh, thank you to Julie for emailing me, and she was the one that, um, she's also one of the ones that's going to be at Lancaster, so I want to make sure that we do try to meet up. Um, thank you to Carol and Charlotte and Amy for commenting on my uh, blog review about the Craftsy class Complete Knife Skills with Brendan McDermott, um, and I believe all three of them signed up for it. Well, one person was already signed up for it, but hadn't watched it yet and decided she really had to. Um, the other two did just sign up for it after reading my review. It is, it's a great class. <laughs> I love that class. It was so much fun. And I am going to keep going back and watching it whenever I'm cutting something new to remind myself how we did it. It was, it was really, and, and I thought I had pretty good knife skills. I really learned a lot from it. Um, thank you to Lauren for her comment on episode 146, in which I did not have a PDSI. Um, and, and Lauren, yes, I did. I do understand why yarn shops do not have bags of remnants. I still think they could figure it out, and boy, could they make money if they did it. Um, so Lauren commented it about why you can't buy scrap bundles in yarn shops. I, I get that. I just disagree that they have not worked hard enough to find a way to do it. Um, but then she talks about a couple of sources, one of which I do already do. I have a couple of friends who are knitters, that I say to them, if you use a really interesting yarn and you've got leftovers, send me the leftovers. And I have a glass jar, um, it's sort of a decorative jar, it's very pretty, that is crammed with all the leftovers that this one woman sends me. And, and she is one of my work colleagues, so every time, often when I travel for a meeting, I'll show up and she'll immediately, oh, Sandy, and toss me a Ziploc bag <laughs> of yarn remnants. So I've got a lot of that, which is nice. And she is, she does do some really, she uses some really interesting yarns. So I have great stuff. I am very careful about who I ask for remnants because as Lauren said, you know, I don't want to end up with a lot of just normal, uh, you know, big box acrylic yarn. That's not what I'm interested in. Um, I'm interested in the artsy stuff, the weird stuff as I call it. Um, but she does also suggest uh, to look for someone who does custom hand spinning and dyeing. <laughs> I had to chuckle because yeah, I'm hoping that might be me in a little while. Um, so, I, you know, this may in another year or two end up being a non-issue for me because I'll be creating my own. Uh, but she does say that people who do custom hand spinning and dyeing might have test samples or leftover bits that they might even give you for free. So that's a good, um, a good point. And I do have access to potentially, I don't have any friends right now that do hand spinning and dyeing, but I do know people who know people. So I may be able to follow that, um, that line of search, seeking, whatever. Um, so thank you for those suggestions. And yes, uh, folks do, if you're looking also for um, remnants and such for yarn, do ask your friends who are knitting and, and get theirs. And then that's a very good suggestion to find somebody who does custom hand spinning and dyeing. I don't remember if I said, I don't think I did. 
on my last episode because I think this came up after it. The other thing that's going on is I was talking about this. Um, I have my quilt design study group that meets in addition to, you know, at a different time of the month than my quilt guild. And I was talking to my friends there saying, you know, that I'd really like to collect some different kinds of embellishments. And they were all saying the same thing. So we're doing a fiber swap. And at our at next month's meeting, anybody who wants to um, swap embellishments, we're all going to cut a one yard piece. So 36 inches of five different yarns or cording or rat tail or whatever it is, you know, that we've got. We're going to cut a 36 inch length of that five different pieces and then anybody who brings five gets five. So that way we're all going to be able to increase our stash. So that's another way to do it. Um, I'm really looking forward to that because I know some of these women in that group and they're going to have some great weird stuff for me to play with. So thank you, Lauren, for your comment. Thank you to um, Philippa. And I never know if I'm pronouncing that pr correctly. I'm sorry. Ozzie Pip, as I know her better, uh, who left a comment on episode 147 in which we talk scraps and spas and shape cuts. And... Um, she it ran six kilometers. You go, Ozzy Pip. I am um, really going to start trying to be on the treadmill more, but I've got to get a better pair of sneakers before I can do it. Uh, but she says she, the trouble with listening to podcasts while she's running is that she can't comment immediately on things she hears. And by the time she gets home, she's forgotten all of them, <laughs> which I know how that feels. Um, and she talks about where her daughters are. And she, and she says, uh, 21st birthdays are big time in Australia, but not as big as they once were. Now people tend to celebrate 18th more. And 18 is when an official, a person officially becomes an adult, gets the right to vote, drink alcohol, and go to licensed venue, join the army, exciting stuff like that. Here in the United States, they can do everything at 18 except drink, <laughs> which, which is kind of interesting. You know, I understand the concept behind it, but I do also struggle with the fact that we will let people fight in the army, but we're still not going to let them drink a beer. You know, that that's kind of weird to me. Um, that's where I, I get caught up in, it's kind of a stopper. But in any case, I don't want to go into that right now. Um, but I wanted to say, Ozzy Pip, that I love the fact they, she and her husband gave their daughter on her 21st birthday a toolkit um, and says, as she made off with several of his tools in the process of moving into her new accommodation and getting set up, isn't that what happens to all our best stuff? Our kids take it when they move. I know I took stuff from my parents' house when I moved. Um, so they bought her a toolbox and assorted tools, and she was really chuffed about it and put a photo on Facebook. Chuffed is a good thing, by the way. I've learned that recently. Um, and they also then finished out the kit with duct tape and WD-40, all the things a young person needs when they set up their first home. So that was fun to read that. Um, Jackie and Amy commented also on episode 147, in which we talk scraps and spas and shape cuts. And they also have problems with the shape cut ruler. So that's two more people that say exactly the same thing, that those slits move, the, the pieces move. However, Jackie had a great suggestion, and I had not thought of that, um, thought of this. She says, it's perfect for cutting the fringe on fleece blankets. Um, you know the kind of fleece blanket where you cut them, I don't, I don't remember the exact dimensions, and it doesn't really matter exactly, but you get two pieces of fleece, you cut them the same um, size, two coordinating pieces, and then you cut fringe all around the four corners. You cut the corners out, and then you cut fringe, and then you knot the fringe together, and that's how you make the fleece blanket. I've made a boatload of those for various donation projects. 
Well, the shape cut would be great. I mean, I just go after it with a pair of scissors and eventually your hand gets really stiff. I never thought about using the shape cut. So you're right. I may actually keep that shape cut now just because I keep ending up in these situations where I'm making those fleece blankets with the fringe. So that would be helpful. Um, Jackie also says she recently used it for cutting the squares for her hexagon quilt as perfect sizes are not critical. Um, so that is also a very good idea, um, Jackie. So thank you for, I won't say you redeemed the shape cut in my eyes, but you did make me think, all right, maybe I'll stash it in a closet somewhere so I know I've got it, but it's not taking up space in my regular um, thing. But that that does say, listeners, this isn't just me with an issue. This is a lot of us that have used the shape cut ruler and have not liked it. So fair warning. And thank you again to another new subscriber to my Quilting for the Rest of Us blog by email. That is it. Not a lot of talking going on this week. Um, hopefully more next week. I do plan on, oh, do I? Yes, I do plan on getting another episode out next week before I go to Lancaster because I don't leave until Tuesday. Um, and then the following Sunday, I will be out of town. So I have one last interview with Jay already in the can, as it were. So you'll be getting in two weeks, you'll be getting another interview with Jay in our design series. So that'll be exciting. So that is it for this episode. Now that I'm done, I'm going to go back to um, get back to the grindstone, get back to work in my sewing studio and keep working on my stupendous stitching project. That's what I spent a little bit of time yesterday. Um, I did get a, a rare hour during the weekend to um, spend in my sewing room. And so I did a little more on that and I wanna to try to get all of the machine stitching done on it today. And then the last step of that is hand stitching. So that's something I can do in front of the um, TV. And then I can do any amount of face planting I want <laughs> and maybe even actually go to bed at some point and that'll feel really good. So thank you all for sticking with me for this episode. Um, hope you got some good ideas about lighting. And again, share your own ideas about lighting for um, the rest of our listeners. I do have a lot of new quilters out there for whom this might just be starting to be an issue, this whole lighting thing. So those of you who have been around the quilting block, as I say, are, are, are a few times, um, share your own experience and wisdom and lighting solutions uh, by leaving a comment on the show notes to this episode. So thank you all for listening. You know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow my blog via email or any blog reader. That's quiltingfortherestofus.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Facebook, Flickr, not on Facebook, I'm sorry, Flickr. Um, all of those places I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group. Please do. And if you are doing um, Scrappitude or the Disappearing Pinwheel, remember that there are Flickr groups for those as well. And you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all over the world. And you will find links for all of those things at the at my blog and podcast show notes at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Until next time. Go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.